Hey, welcome to another episode of the If You Mark in Your Bible podcast. My name is Josh, your host, and today we are studying Galatians chapter 6, verses 7 through 10, and we're studying it with Eli Sales, the preacher at the Dresden Church of Christ in Dresden, Tennessee. And I'm going to allow Eli to introduce himself right now. As Brother Josh mentioned, my name is Eli Sales. I'm very blessed to work here with the Dresden Church of Christ here in Dresden, Tennessee. Uh, As far as introductions go, there's not a whole lot for me to say. I uh, graduated this past year from the Memphis School of Preaching. I was a second, I was a first year student while Josh was a second year student. And so I was blessed to know him and his class while I was at the school. Uh, I'm from Murray, Kentucky, very close to where I'm preaching now and very happy to be back closer to home. I think that's all I would have. That's great. And, and, and as Eli said, we were classmates for a year, and I enjoyed listening to Eli. Uh, and, and the chapel services that we had every time we got to preach, he um, definitely more mature than I was at his age. So uh, happy that he's in Dresden and, and doing work with the congregation there. As mentioned earlier, we're doing Galatians chapter 6. Verses seven through ten, just to give a brief context, uh, Galatians. I would my I think it was my dad who said this, and I think I would agree uh, that this is one of Paul's more harsh reprimands. Uh, it seems of a congregation. Uh, it's written to the churches in Galatia. Uh, he starts off, for example, very aggressively defending his apostleship. Uh, he says, not from men or through men, but of Jesus. Uh, and then you go to verse 6, and he says, I'm astonished that you're so quickly deserting uh, the faith or, or the gospel. Uh, you look at uh, chapter 4, uh, verses 12 through 20. I think uh, it kind of lends us some insight into uh, why he approaches this epistle that way. Uh, there he talks about, at one point, uh, you guys would have plucked out your own eyes to give them to me. And then he says, am I therefore becoming your enemy because I tell you the truth? Uh, chapter 5 and verse 12 is very uh, harsh. And so I think that's something we have to keep in mind uh, as we study this. I think some of the problems that are uh, the, the churches there in Galatia are having is, one, there are probably those who are um, questioning at the very least, if not flat out, um, opposing the apostleship yeah. of paul uh, i think you have uh will i not think but you have judaizing teachers that are trying to push the circumcision circum- circumcision on gentiles uh, and teaching uh from that standpoint uh, and then i also think there's some sort of prejudice uh going through based on how he deals with the jews and the gentiles being one under christ and so forth and so a church that has its issues uh, and a letter that uh, is not uh, a hateful and still comes from a loving standpoint, but very direct uh, and very firm uh, in the things that he says. And I think that's going to have to be something that we keep in mind uh, as we study through this. He begins chapter six talking about uh, bearing one another, helping one another. Um, and it's interesting because in verse two, uh, when it says bear one another's burdens, those burdens are burdens that can be shared. Uh, and I think I think these it, the, the focus of that's more physical. Uh, we can help others uh, in their physical burdens. Uh, yeah. the, the word in verse five, though, for each is less of a hardship and more of an obligation or a responsibility. And I think there's a shift there 
uh, between uh, the beginning of chapter six and what we're about to get into at the end of uh, or the middle of chapter six, but really kind of the end of the letter before his uh, final send off is we're shifting from a, a physical responsibilities to one another to a, maybe a more spiritual responsibilities that we have uh, a load or an obligation that uh, we are responsible for for ourselves. Now, others can help us in our spiritual walk, but when the rubber meets the road, uh, each individual is responsible for his or her own spiritual well-being. And, and I think that's what we're getting into there. So without further ado, let's begin reading verse 7. It says, Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, and the one who sows to the spirit will from the spirit reap eternal life. What do you have there, Eli? I would like to, uh, I think it connects back well to what you brought up before with the introduction of the book and how Paul is very blunt in what he's stating. You know, that be not deceived, God is not mocked for for whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He's very direct by inspiration here. And that statement that, you know, you're going to get what you put in and uh, going as far in verse eight as to explaining exactly what he's talking about in um, sowing to the flesh versus sowing to the spirit. That phrase, be not deceived, was very interesting to me. And uh, I never really focused on it before, but trying to figure out well, what exactly he's meaning. I don't know. Of course, you're welcome to correct me or to, to, to come in any time. But I kind of took it from the point of view of uh, don't let yourself be tricked by what others may say or don't trick yourself into thinking that you can get something even if you didn't work for it. And that's, you know, big thing today of individuals trying to do one thing and then receive something better or receive something more. You know, Paul's saying, you know, don't be fooled. Don't be tricked. Uh, you're going to get what you put in in this life. And don't let yourself or anyone else try and convince you otherwise. And that phrase, uh, God is not mocked. You know, um, I read a quote when looking at that. If we should think that we can sow one thing and reap another, we would be thinking that we had the power to mock God. That is to defy him by overriding his plans and arrangements. And Paul's pointing out, you know, don't be tricked. God is almighty. Don't mock God. Don't laugh in his scorn in his face. You will get what you put in in this life. And that kind of grave warning that he's given. That's great. And and I'm with you 100%. Uh, do not be deceived is an interesting term. It's only that phrase, uh, at least just from the English Standard Version, it's implied or said in a different way throughout uh, the New Testament. But First Corinthians verse uh, 6 and verse 9 but do not be deceived. The unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. And it gives the, the list of idolaters, fornicators, you know, covetous thieves and so forth. Uh, verse uh, Corinthians 15, verse 33, be not deceived. Evil companions corrupt good morals. Um, James 1 and verse 16 uh, just says, do not be deceived, be deceived my brethren. Uh, but that's sandwiched between a uh, the, the process of sin, you know, sin, uh, we're lured away or we sin when we're lured away by our own lust and then see, yeah. or, uh, lust, uh, those temptations or lust uh, conceive sin and then see sin conceives death. And then after he says, do not be deceived. It says every good and every perfect gift comes from above 
from the Father of Lights, in whom is no variableness or shadow of changing. Uh, and and there, I think there's that comparison there. Let no man say that he's tempted of God. Everything that God gives is a gift. When a man is tempted, it's man who is is the yeah. one responsible for his sin. Uh, and then you have First John one eight. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And I think Paul uses this phrase, do not be deceived, with the implication that, and especially when you when you pair it with, like you said, with that phrase, God is not mocked, man's the only one capable of being deceived. And God is incapable of being deceived. Man's the only one capable of doing it. I think this has to apply, first and foremost, it's probably a... a in reference to the Judaizing teachers, like you said, don't let someone lure you away. Don't yeah. let someone deceive you with their false teaching. Uh, there's also a sense when we deceive ourselves, we we uh, can put ourselves in a position uh, in our as far as our relationship with God that is not really there. And I'm reminded again of First uh, John chapter one when he says, "If we say we have a, a fellowship with God." But we walk in darkness, we lie or we deceive ourselves and we have the intent of deceiving others as well. And so uh, really glad you brought up that idea of deception, because while we may be able to lie to ourselves and all that, we're not lying to God. And it, and it pairs well with verse eight, because God knows where we are sowing. If we're oh, sowing yeah. to the flesh, it's not as if we're going to reap eternal life because God was fooled. Uh, or vice versa. And this is the positive. If we zoze towards the spirit, we're not going to accidentally reap corruption because God is aware as well. So a very, very good point. Uh, what else do you have that, in, in those passages? On that same train of thought and what you brought up with personal deception, I would state that individuals at times would want to deceive themselves or uh, desire to live in that state of deception. You know, you may have an individual mm -hmm that uh, can understand and can know from the Bible and from the gospel that this is wrong or this action that they're doing is wrong, but they try and deceive themselves into thinking, well, maybe even though I'm sowing this, maybe I'll reap something else. Or maybe just hopefully, you know, in the back of their head, they're thinking, well, I'll still reap this. Now, Paul's pointing out, be not deceived. You won't, you can't mock God. You can't scorn at God. You're going to get what you, what you put in. And that's a that's a good point. And that's something that's very big with that personal deception. I feel like that could be probably very easy to do in one's own life. Right. Well, and the opposite too. Um, on the flip side, not the opposite, but really the flip side of the coin. Uh, don't be deceived. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to reap the consequences of it. Uh, and I think there are those who may not necessarily. I think it's more it, at times we deceive ourselves in the sense that we can continue to live in a sinful fashion, yet the consequences of doing so are not going to fall upon us. Yeah. And, and how many times does someone get caught uh, in sin and then begin to try and make themselves the victims or begin to try and uh, justify what they yeah. did wrong? When the Trying reality is, the is, is you're enduring the consequences of, of what you did. So excellent. And, and I think it's also important. I circled flesh. I, I use different colors. So I circled flesh with red and corruption with red. Then I circled spirit with blue and eternal life with blue. Uh, and I think it would benefit us personally, just benefit us if we, if we look at it from a backwards 
In other words, when I look at corruption or I look at eternal life, what do I want? And I think most yeah. people who are sane and who are honest are going to say, I want eternal life. We'll go backwards then. Uh, if you want eternal life, then you have to sow the spirit. If you want corruption, then sow the flesh. Well, no one's going to say they want corruption. Yeah. Everyone's going to say they want eternal life, but then they want to turn around and look at what, what is required for eternal life. It's not sowing to the flesh. They want to sow to the flesh, but they want to reap eternal life. Mm -hmm. Uh, they don't want to sow the spirit, but they also don't want to reap corruption, and it doesn't work that way. Uh, we we look at what we want, and then Paul is here being very straightforward with the sense of, if you want eternal life, then this is what you have to do. If you want corruption, this is what you have to do. And what we're going to find is, is usually what I want to do is going to lead to the corruption. What I'm trying to avoid is what leads to eternal life. So there's a choice that has to be made. If Christianity was natural, in other words, if that if if everything about sowing to the spirit was natural, then it wouldn't be an issue. Yeah. Uh, there there has to be a conscientious choice that is made. There has to be sacrifice that is made. There has to be dedication uh and obedience that's involved with it and and but the, the the outcome of doing so is greater than the outcome of not doing so. And then Paul's pointing that out in these passages. You know, what else do you have? As you know, on that same line, it's interesting that here, as well as a lot of other places in the Bible, you only have that two paths presented. You know, think back to that straight and narrow way in Matthew. Like it's just it's one way or the other. And, you know, Paul doesn't give a third middle ground option. There's no gray area listed. It's corruption or everlasting life. And that can be a, a scary thought at times that, you know, there's not, it's not going to be an in-between. Well, maybe about this, maybe that. Uh, there's only two paths presented in this passage as well as many others. And so that would tell me that I can't be sowing both seeds at the same time. I'm, I'm going to be doing one or the other, and I need to make sure I'm doing the right one. I'll make sure I'm sowing those seeds to the Spirit. So I, like you said, so I can get that reward and working backwards from it. If I want that life, this is what I need to plant. I I need to follow through with it. Absolutely. And I, I also put contrast with verse two. Uh, and I, and I, I did that by circling the phrase one uh, for whatever one sows, for whatever one sows, for whatever one sows. That's three times uh, in verse uh, seven and eight. And you have the own flesh uh mentioned there uh in verse eight uh when you go back to verse two verse two it says bear one another's burdens that one another there is is plural and i think yeah. we're talking about the group and this is one reason i think we're shifting to the spiritual because uh all those the ones and the own and all that in in verses seven and eight is singular uh it's mm -hmm. the responsibility and i think you have a responsibility of the congregation being talked about at the beginning of chapter six but now, regardless of the congregation's actions, uh, if the, you can be a part, and I think this is this is something that that uh, we need to understand as Christians. I can be part of a great congregation, but sowing after the flesh, and it doesn't matter what how that congregation performs as a whole. Uh, I can be reaping corruption as an yeah. individual, or vice I versa. Reap, I will never reap what you sow. Just plain and simple. Absolutely. 
And I think, and I think vice versa too, when you get frustrated, I think that's probably with the, the perspective from Galatians is you have a less than pleasing congregation as a whole, probably with yeah. individual good members. And there's encouragement in that sense, regardless of, of the strife and turmoil within this congregation, uh, you can still be pleasing to God as an individual. Uh, and, and so there is that distinction that I think is being drawn here as well. As a preacher, I put uh, Philippians 1, verses 12 through 18, um, where Paul, you know, and I just put the phrase pretense and truth where Paul talks about uh, preachers who were preaching. Some are preaching to gain notoriety and the influence uh, of Paul while he's in prison. Others are doing it to continue his work. Uh, and he makes the point, whether in pretense or truth, I'm going to rejoice that Christ is being preached regardless of their yeah. motivation. But if we preach with the intent of sowing to the flesh, and I think that is possible, I think an individual can can be, and now again, I'm just talking from my perspective as a preacher, an individual can preach for the notoriety that comes with it. He can preach for the prestige that comes with it, for uh, maybe the position it puts him in a congregation or in a community or whatever it is. You're still going to reap corruption, even yeah. though the the what the actions are pleasing, like Paul made the point of. Uh, there's still the sense of uh, if you're sowing to the flesh, you're going to corruption. Same thing if you're sowing with the, the the intent of spreading God's word and, and communicating the biblical truths, uh, then there is something to, to come. So taking that principle and kind of applying it more of a, on a microscopic level to preaching rather than just the everyday Christian life is just something I put um, how we use the blessings of God, how we use the gospel. Yeah. Uh, is is something that's important. You have anything else on seven and eight? I like that. Uh, this is a very good example in the Bible of how the Word of God is logical. Now, this just makes sense. It doesn't take a whole lot of explaining to to work through. You're going to reap what you sow, and it follows through. The same is seen in God's natural law. You know, when I plant a mm -hmm. tomato seed, I'm getting a tomato plant. There was never one time with me and my dad on the farm, we ever planted corn and watermelons grew. It's just, you know, and then no one would argue that that would be the case. No one would plant uh, corn and say to themselves, I cannot wait for these pumpkins to come up and those blooms to sprout because they know when they put that corn in the ground, corn is what's going to come up. And yet mm -hmm. that idea seems to be sometimes lost when we apply it to spiritual matters and God connects the two. He's like, this is how it's seen. You're going to reap what you sow and the same applies here. Absolutely right. And and throughout, I mean, how many times is the seed bearing fruit used throughout the New Testament? Jesus used it often. Paul uses it often. I mean, it's it, it's and it's it because it's a great and it, it's a great yeah. comparison. And, and like you said, nobody in their right mind plants uh, a, a corn seed and expects anything but corn to produce. Um, but. That's because we can see the results physically. And, and I think there's a sense where we see the, the results uh, from a spiritual standpoint. But there is also a, 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 a facet of it where we can maybe hide the spiritual facet from other people. But yeah. lo and behold, regardless, God sees 
the outcome of the fruit the same way we see the outcome of a of a physical crop. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, excellent point. Anything else there? That's all I had for seven and eight. All right. Verse nine, it says, and let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season, we will reap if we do not give up. What do you have there, bud? And the uh, theme of the podcast and kind of underlining certain things, I would underline uh, well-doing and faint not with that idea of these like conditions that are stated in this verse. And they kind of jump out of the page, you know, and let us not be weary in well-doing. Paul gives that condition, you know, don't give up, don't get tired, keep going if you're doing what's right. And that same train of thought, for in due season we shall reap if we faint not. You will get your reward if you keep faithful, if you keep on it, if you remain in that well-doing kind of actions. So those conditions, you know, everything Paul wrote being by inspiration are in there for a reason. And it's very important to, to keep those kind of pointed out there. I underline due season. Uh, I think that's yeah. important. And I just put the note, God's time. Uh, there's a patience involved. I think when, and, and just look at it from an evangelistic standpoint, I think we, and this is going to play a part in verse 10 that we'll deal with in just a second. But I think sometimes we want to plant and reap at the same time in the same day mm-hmm. or in the same hour. Uh, and, and, there's there's work that has to be done and and you look at the life of christ for example and he he even says that there's some things that i want to teach you but y'all aren't ready for it christ was patient with the apostles uh there are going to be things that that um you know rob whitaker was here a couple months ago and he he made the point you have to earn a bible study and he he really kind of stressed that you know everything that you do for an individual is an evangelistic effort, even though you may never crack open the Bible or, or talk about God's word. Uh, but the things that you do to help them out and encourage them and all that are, are working to one day getting to that point where you do have that Bible study. But uh, you have to you have to earn it in that. And it's the same with a crop like you made. You have to prepare the ground. You have to uh, till up uh, the ground. You have to take out the rocks and, and the weeds and everything that might inhibit the ground from producing fruit. Uh, yeah, you never see a harvest from that standpoint. Then you go to the point where you, you you plant the seed and you water it and you fertilize it and you do all that, and you're still never seeing any type of harvest. Uh, and then even when it starts to sprout, there's patience that's involved with letting the, the seed, uh, do what it's supposed to do uh, where you're just waiting. Uh, and then eventually one day the harvest comes eventually one day that fruit or that vegetable is there for you to pick and enjoy. Uh, but there's a gap of time between when that seed or when that ground was prepared to the point where you're actually reaping the benefits of, of all the work. There's a gap of time between those two things. And, and I think patience is something that has to be involved here. And it goes in line with that faint nod or grow weary. Uh, Revelation 2.10, live faithfully unto death. Uh, Matthew 10 and verse 22, Jesus made the same point. Hebrews 3 and verse 6 uh, talks about the patience of the Christian life. Uh, and and there is a sense where uh, persistence is required, even if reward is not even if that persistence is not rewarded immediately uh and so i underline that phrase we will reap and just put the harvest is sure first corinthians 3 6 i planted apollos watered 
God gave the increase. And if God's the one bringing forth the harvest, if God's the one bringing forth the reward, then if we do the work we're supposed to do, the reward of the harvest is guaranteed. It's sure. And, and yeah. so that's that's the motivation behind do not grow weary. What else do you have on nine? It's you know on that same train of thought as you've already presented, that idea of let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season. That due season, you know, we may not see it. And it may be hard at times to see when that due season is going to be. But we trust in God. We trust in his word. And we know that I will reap what I sow. So I need to just, you know, keep my tiller going, keep sowing and keep at work. And I may not know when that due season will come, but I will I will reap what I sow one way or another, as Paul's already brought up, as we've already discussed. We've already discussed. Man, that, that is, that's an excellent point. Glad you brought You said we, will, we may not see it. And I think that is something that we have to um, consider as well because our actions here right now, you and me, right? Say you and I studying this podcast or, or studying during this podcast and the time we're putting in here, we're going to release it. It's going to go out on the internet and in reality, it's going to go all over the world. It's going to be accessible all over the world. And you and I may never see yeah. The good that comes from the 45 minutes we're spending here. Uh, and, and I think that's an excellent point because there is good that comes from it. Um, um, you, you think about uh, a sermon that, that you may preach and it maybe get discouraged that no one responded to it or nobody said anything about it, or it seemed to kind of fall on deaf ears. Uh, but you never know, uh, that, that, that exactly. sermon could go on and, and and you never and the people you have influence with, uh, they may never you may never. I, I'll tell you this. <clears throat> There's a preacher or was a preacher in Brownwood, Texas, uh, where I went to college named David Stewart, who, um, you know, outside of, you know, maybe people like my dad, my father in law and all that who have had an impact on me from as a preacher. That which they, it is expected. David Stewart probably had no clue. He passed away of bone uh, uh, bone marrow cancer uh, a while back. So doesn't know where I'm at now, but had an influence on me during my time in college that has put me in this position now. And he has no clue uh, that that yeah. happened. You know what I mean? And, and I think that, that we have to keep that in mind as well, even though we may see some of the results or the rewards that we have. <laughs> The true extent of our work isn't isn't ever going to be realized by us this side of eternity because you know, it's God given the increase. <coughs> what else? You I was there? like, I was like, like what you said. You could tell someone something. You could share a kind word or just any action that's done for the purpose of benefiting someone else, and drive off and have no idea the the good that might be accomplished later on. And that's definitely, you know, you brought up something specific to preachers earlier. You could bring it up here, too. That would be very important for a preacher to keep in mind and reminding ourselves that now, I may not have seen the benefits now, but I need to just keep sowing and keep preaching because I know good will come from it. So it can be, you know, it could be discouraging if you preach, especially individuals who may have been preaching for several years and maybe they're not seeing a lot come from it. 
it's important to keep in mind, you know, that in due season, that season will come due. It will happen. If nothing else, in staying true and faithful, you will reap your reward. So just, you know, keep sowing. Absolutely. I also want to point out, and I've under, I've circled uh, <clears throat> all the first person plural pronouns in verse nine and ten. Yeah. Compared to everything before, everything before, excuse me. <laughs> Allergies are killing me today. Um, everything in 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 up to this point has it. It starts off in second person, uh, you who are spiritual, and then it turns into third person pronouns. Uh, up until here in verse nine, and then it turns into first person plural pronouns. And I feel like Paul is including himself in this reminder yeah. to not grow weary. That's a very and good point. I think we're starting to see some of his frustration with the congregations here in Galatia, uh, personally. Um, and, and again, we mentioned it earlier, and that's what I meant. He's having to defend his apostleship pretty aggressively. He's having to deal with the Judaizing teachers. He has, it seems like those who he thought he could count on are now turning on him. And then there may be that prejudice, you know, between the Gentiles and the Jews within this congregation. And so he, it, it's almost as if Paul is reflecting on his work with the churches at Galatia. And as he's reminding them to not grow weary in well-doing and not to faint uh, or give up. He, he's reminding himself as well, like yeah. I, I, as he's writing this, you know, be patient with this group, uh, continue to do good, continue to treat them with the love and the compassion you had at the beginning and, and all that. And so I start, I think you're starting to see some of his his frustration and he, it's almost as if he's given himself that pep talk as he as he writes this uh, yeah. with the intent of giving him the pep talk as well as somebody reads it to him. What else you have? Well, I mean, that's a that's a good point. You know, it switches to that different type of pronoun for a reason. It, it does. I hadn't thought of that before, but he makes a very clear distinction. You know, verse eight for he that soweth, and that that one way, and then verse nine, and let us. He's gone from making this illustration to now talking about you know me and you. Let us be uh, not weary. Let us stay true, keep sowing as long as we're in well doing. You know, knowing we will receive that reward, we'll reap what we've sown if we faint not, if we kept going. And he, like you said, he's kind of you know, giving himself that. Just keep at it. You know, despite what they're doing, just keep at it. It makes you wonder, Paul being inspired by the Spirit, if if maybe the Spirit's kind of nudging him, like, uh, you know, uh, keep going. A, a word of encouragement, if you will. So, yeah, um, excellent point. Uh, verse 10, it says, so then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially those who are the household of faith. What do you have there? I would uh, specifically highlight or maybe point out that phrase, all men, as well as uh, you could make the distinction and point out, uh, as we have, therefore, opportunity. That idea that as mm -hmm. opportunities come to me and as the doors open and trusting in God, the doors will open. But as that opportunity comes, I need to do good unto all men. And that all is just a three letter word, but it carries is everyone, period. It does not leave out a soul. So, you know, despite social status, gender, race, color, anything, all men is all men. And so I, I need to keep in mind, I need to do good. I need to try and do what I can to benefit 
my fellow mankind on just the broadest level I can imagine, all men. And then even further, kind of zoning into that idea as he closes out that verse, especially unto those unto the household of faith, especially of those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. And it's kind of difficult for me at first to wrap my head around this idea because you have this command, do good as you have the opportunity unto all men. So do what you can for all of mankind. And then even further, do even better unto those who are your brothers and sisters in Christ. So if I'm to do good to everybody, imagine what I need to be doing then for my brethren and how much more I need to be trying to help uh, those fellow Christians and their walks in faith and just helping them as much as I can in every way that I can. Right. And there is definitely a distinct, there are two, two groups of people here listed. There's a distinction between the two, but I don't think it's a, an us and them mentality, I guess yeah. if that's the best way to say it when we approach this verse. It's not a, there's the world and it's, I think it's more of a, a tier system, if that yeah. makes sense. And what that's I mean what by mean. that is do good on all men, show preference to those of the household of faith. And I underline household of faith, put Ephesians 2, 19, uh, as well as uh, Romans twelve ten. Uh, Visions 2.19 talks about no longer strangers or aliens, but members of the household of faith. Um, and then Romans 12.10, uh, have burly affection towards one another, preferring one another. And I think there's, and this is probably addressing the uh, division between Jews and Gentiles. In other words, we're united under Christ, and therefore we show preference uh, to those who are not in Christ uh, over, we show preference to those who are in Christ over those who are not in Christ, but that doesn't give us the opportunity <clears throat> or a reason to treat them unfairly. I think there's a sense where we're talking about in, in, in matters where resources are limited. So if I have a hundred dollars to give and I have a brother in need or someone in the world in need, uh, I think that hundred dollars being limited should go to the one who is in need. Uh, that's, a, that's my brother in Christ. I think yeah. there's it, that type of implication here. Uh, however, in, in issues where resources are unlimited. So think about kindness, think about patience, think about, um, the, the capability. And when I say unlimited, you can share the gospel with somebody, with everybody you come in contact with. And, and, and it's not like, oh, well, I met my quota today. I can't share the gospel with anyone else. And yeah. so in those matters, that applies not only to the, those in Christ, but also to those outside of Christ. And I think, and what I mean by there's a tier system is our mindset in doing good to everyone. And I'm glad you brought that up from the standpoint of race, gender, wealth, social status, education, uh, past, uh, whatever. It, it excludes no one. But I think the approach here is when I say a tier system is my approach with the world and how I treat the world should be from the standpoint of I want to take you from this all men category and put you in this household of faith category. Yeah. And and you look at it and I've heard people say, well, I have better relationships with those in the world than I do those in the church. Not me. And, and, and you're not. 
you're not participating in the church the way you should be if that's the case. I have yeah. I have great friends who are in the world, but my desire should be to take those friends who are in the world and move them into this category of the household of faith. Uh, because those in the household of faith are the ones with whom we will spend eternity. So if mm-hmm. I enjoy spending time with my coworker or my friend or my neighbor here, why wouldn't I want to spend eternity with them? And if I know what it takes to spend eternity in heaven, why wouldn't I share the gospel with them so that not yeah. only this relationship I enjoy today, I can enjoy on the other side of judgment as well. And I think that's the the mentality here. And 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 if with that idea of of doing good unto all men, don't hurt the gospel. If that makes sense. I mean, how many how many times have maybe somebody treated someone disrespectfully, and then you got to turn around and go try and share the gospel with them? What what do you expect is going to happen? Yeah. Right. And and so I think there's an evangelistic. I put Matthew chapter five and verse forty three and following Luke 27 verse follow, uh, verse 27 and following Romans 12, 14, following all of them. Jesus, you heard it said, thou shalt love thy neighbor and hate thine enemy. But I say unto you, love your enemy, uh, do good to those who hate you and, and so forth. <clears throat> That's involved in this thought regardless. And, and, and if you're doing it, and even if it's uncomfortable, even if it's difficult, even if it makes you uncomfortable, in treating this person with respect, there's a sense where I'm not going to do anything on my part to hurt the the spread of the gospel with this individual. They may never obey the gospel, but the responsibility should fall solely on them, not because I did something to inhibit it in their minds. What else you have? I like that idea. I'm glad that you brought that up because that would be very important for this verse, that evangelistic aspect of it, you know, if someone doesn't already want to hear what I have to say, and they already don't want to be around me, they're definitely not going to want to accept an invitation to worship services. Or, you know, if I'm mm-hmm. seen in the community as an individual that's not doing good unto all men, if I'm seen as someone that, you know, maybe does good to some, but not all, or if I'm seen as someone that's not doing good, or, you know, I look at him, I don't want to be around him. They're never going to listen to what I have to say when it comes to matters of grave importance. So that's a, a right. very good point to bring up. Right. And, and I mean, if we're honest, let's be honest, the author of this book, if you and I were running an individual like Paul or when he was Saul of Tarsus, when he was labeled Saul of Tarsus in the, in the book of Acts, uh, you and I probably would have, if, if it was up to you and me, yeah, Paul would have nothing to do with the church. And we read that yeah. later on. He tried to come to the church, and the church isn't going to accept him until Barnabas comes in and vouches for him, which I think is a testament to Barnabas. But you look at and you read uh, Christ's conversation with Ananias, and Ananias goes, hey, he's known for persecuting the church. And Christ is like, I chose this guy, uh, cool. and he's going to figure out what it means to suffer for Christ. And you and I have almost half, if not half, the New Testament uh, because Christ saw something in Paul mm-hmm. that Ananias or the church didn't see. And, and, and again, props to Barnabas for taking what Christ took and vouching for Paul 
Barnabas did it again with Mark later on in the book of Acts. Uh, he vouched for uh, Mark, uh, drew, uh, drew contention or, or caused uh, dissension between uh, Paul and, and Barnabas. They went their separate ways. And then at the end of Paul's life, he says, bring John Mark because he's profitable to me, you know. And so the point I'm trying to make, I guess, is that regardless of our opinion of an individual, it's this do good unto everyone that is going to pay the benefits because we don't know. And, and, and again, it goes back to the idea of when we may never see the, the fruits of our labor with that individual. Uh, but think about this, those, <coughs> let's say Stephen, for example, who was stoned while they put the coats, uh, while the men who stoned him put their coats at the feet of Saul. So, so Stephen's resting in paradise, and then one day later, or not one day later, but at some point later, Paul enters into paradise where Stephen is. And, 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 and I think, Paul, you look at it throughout his writings, I think he looks back on that moment uh, with regret, uh, yet they're yeah. both resting in the same place. And Stephen never knew <laughs> what happened until uh, after both of them have died. Excuse me. What else do you have? I think that about wraps it up. You said stated it, stated it well. If I were to say anything else, I'd just be repeating your thoughts. Well, that is, that's good, man. I appreciate that study, bud. Um, Eli, thank you for coming on. To those who are listening and watching, uh, like, share, subscribe. Thank you for your time and uh, in, in participating in this study with us. And uh, catch us next time with that. Uh, we are out.